Bible. So let me read the passage that we'll be looking at today. It's just a short passage. I don't think we'll spend too much time on it, but Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 24. Let me read the passage and then I'll pray for our time. So Mark 7, starting in verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. Yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell out down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. I pray that you give us um, an attitude of love, that we would hear these words and respond well. Lord, help us to know that you oppose the proud. Father, you give grace to the humble. Lord, I pray that you'd settle our spirits when we encounter things in Scripture that may seem hard or confusing. And we pray, Spirit, that you give us a spirit and a mind of understanding. We pray all this to your name and your glory, Jesus. Amen. Question. Does Jesus have favorites? Does Jesus have favorites? Uh, when I look at, I'm not going to lie, I look at Riley and Marina back there in their relationship, I can't help but think of my own relationship that I had with my wife when we were dating. And I remember being on the phone at 11 a.m. talking very softly so my parents wouldn't hear me talk on the phone. Not at 11 a.m., 11 p.m. And we would talk about our favorites your favorite ice cream and she'd always say mint chocolate chip and I would just before I knew the acronym chicken my head I would think chicken my head uh, what's your favorite movie what's your favorite this or that and favorites you know that's a part of life that we whatever it is um, by the way we're raised our experiences our genes genetics that we gravitate towards certain things but also with people Right? We have certain people, even in this room, people we have more of a shared history with, better friendships with, more things in common. And, and in fairness, in a way, like favorites, excuse me, um, aren't bad. I think they're, they're good. But sometimes favorites do cause problems. I'm a middle child in that I have an older brother who's about a year and a half older than me and a little brother who's three years younger than me. And, and not that I feel like my parents ever, if I really believe they played favorites, it just sometimes felt like they did. Uh, I, I had this very sensitive meter in me that when I see someone doing something for someone more than for me, uh, something kind of says, well, hey, why am I not your favorite? Or why don't, why don't you do this for me and you did this for them? And... Um, as a middle child, I think, I don't know, like maybe that's one of my wounds and things, but I'll sit there in Starbucks and there's two lines, right? Well, first of all, there's one line and I'm in the very back of it. 
and I'm waiting person by person. And then all of a sudden, right when it's my turn, they start two lines. So the people who come in after me don't have to wait as long as I had to wait. Like, why didn't you start two lines when I got here, right? So that annoys me. But two, I order something very simple, it feels like, and the person next to me, they order like 10 things and they get all their stuff before I get my one thing, right? It's just, it always seems like I have to wait longer. Like, am I really like that kind of person? I just am harder to serve, like. Favorites. Just seems like there's this sense in us that we don't like favorites when we are the person who's not being the desired object of that. And when I read this story, I don't know if you caught it. It might be one of those stories that we kind of read and we're not really sure, so we just keep reading. But it, it really, there's this unsettling tone that Jesus tells this woman that, uh, really, I'm not going to spend my time with you. And, and more than that, I'm not sure if you guys caught it because I didn't really catch any reactions. He calls her a dog. So we're, we're reading the, all these stories after story of Jesus and, and who he is and, and what's he here to do. And, and he's, he's ministering to the, the little dead girl and to the woman who has a bleeding problem. And he's, and he's feeding the people bread and he's doing all these things. And then we get this story and he's like, hey, uh, we're not going to waste anything on you. We're not going to waste anything on the dogs. And, and you, so you pause and you're like, what, what is this passage? Is this Jesus kind of showing favoritism? Is he valuing one people over another? Does Jesus care more about some people more than others? I mean, it kind of seems like in a society that, that we live in that there is a tier system that those who have money or influence or good looks or good talents typically get more attention, they're more desirable. Is that true with Jesus? Does Jesus care more about the smart kids? Does he care more about the people who actually have money and time to give towards his mission? Does Jesus care more about the person who is doing better with sexual purity? Or does Jesus kind of like hey man, you're my favorite because you read your Bible more. Who does, who does Jesus favor? Who does Jesus have his eye on? And I think this passage helps us answer that question. Who, who does Jesus looking at? Who does Jesus care about? Who does he favor? And I like to say, there's, I think there's three things that, that tell us what Jesus really favors. What, what, what is he looking at? What, is he, what does he want? And so let's, let's look at this passage again. And we'll kind of go through it and try to answer that question. So Mark chapter 7, uh, the, kind of the passages that we've been going over, Jesus is, he kind of de- declared all things clean. He had to tell the Pharisees and the scribes, you guys, you worship, me, you worship God with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And he kind of says, all food now and all people are clean. That what defiles you isn't what, you know, uh, what kind of you put in your body, but really what defiles you is, in, is already in your heart. And so now Jesus, he kind of is distancing himself from these little Galilean regions of where, you know, we talked about Jesus from, uh, I even forget the name, this is so small already, uh, Tenino. Jesus from Tenino, right? That's, that's how much 
you know, Nazareth. What? What's that city again? Nazareth? Something like that? Tenino. Jesus from Tenino. He's visiting himself, and now he's going into a region where you'd wonder, like, why in the world would Jesus go over here? So let's go ahead and look at this. So verse 24, and when he, and from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and, and Sidon, or Sidon, whatever you want to call that, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. So again, uh, first of all, like, why is Jesus always doing this secretive thing, right? Why is he always trying to like, tell people, don't tell anyone I did this for you? And he's always trying to withdraw. And we talked about this a little bit. And, and really what it is, is Jesus is doing these great things. He's feeding people. He's giving them bread. He's casting out demons. And he's, there's this fear in him that he doesn't want people to think that he primarily came to help people with their material issues. Jesus did not leave heaven's glory to come to earth in order just to give people bread. And so people are coming to him all over, hey, do this for me, do this for me. And so he would kind of say, like, hey, don't tell anyone this, but I'm, I'm going to help you out. Because the second they went and told everyone, what's going to happen? Well, I want that too. And so they flocked to Jesus for all these things. And he's like, listen, my mission here is to seek and save sinners. So he's kind of residing away. And so part of this, you know, we've got to do a little bit of study here. Tyra is this area outside of Galilee that is filled with Gentiles. Now, if you, I don't know if you've ever studied any Western civilization um, in high school yet, and maybe not, but there's a thing called Hellenization that happened with Alexander the Great, where he took over much, pretty much the whole world. And in that, he influenced the whole world about Greek culture. So Greek became a common trade language, uh, the Greek culture, and all this different stuff. And so these people who Jesus is kind of going towards are people who the Jews had a disdain for, a bad relationship. Matter of fact, people point to this passage as kind of giving some reference to the fact that Jesus probably knew some Greek. He, pro- he probably spoke primarily in Aramaic, but the fact that he went to this region shows us that he, he probably had picked up some type of Greek language. But here's my point. Well, why does it matter where Jesus goes? Because of this. Jesus favors and cares for the least of these. For the least of these. If you look after the passage we read, um, Jesus heals a deaf man. Again, they're in the region of Tyra. Um, Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 10, Jesus feeds the 4,000. All of these people are not Jews. They're Gentiles. They're Greeks. They're, they're people who Jews did not care for, did not like, disassociated from. These are people who they wanted nothing to do with. But, but what does Jesus do? He goes into this region and this area to kind of proclaim, listen, all things, all people are clean. Mark is being very, very strategic here. Jesus just says, no, 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 no. What defiles you comes from your heart. Everything is clean. And let me show it to you. We're going to go to the people who you think are unclean. I'm going to minister to them. And I'm going to show you that even these people need to be cared for. Jesus favors the least of these. What are the least of these? And that's a common expression in the New Testament where Jesus, he looks to the people 
who are overlooked. Jesus looks at the people who aren't popular, who don't have a lot of money, who don't really have a voice, who don't have much going for them in life. But, but do, you know, do you know who he cares for? Do you know who, he, who he's looking after? The people who need him the most. The people who know in their hearts that, that, that without some divine intervention, I am hopeless. Jesus favors the least of these. Now, now here's, here's the issue I have in my heart. The application point can just be this, this common, subtle thing that we always kind of throw at Christians. You, therefore, need to go to the least of these. You need to, you know, and I could give some story of you going to your high school and you see the kid sitting by himself and, and you should go to the least of these. And, and I think that's fine. That's great. And we should be mindful of these things. But, but, but here's how I want to apply this passage. Are you ready for this? Um, Jesus cares for the least of these you are the least of these. You are not the favorable person in which God just naturally looks at and says, oh, I I have to love this person. No, 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 no. You are the person where Jesus steps far out of the way and sees that you're hopeless and says, I'm going to love them. They need me. And that really is the heart of a Christian. That we, I'm not Jewish by any sense of the word, you know, like I am someone who is so far lost and gone that if it was not for Jesus, I'd be hopeless. And praise the Lord that, that, that even though we could easily be people who are written off the page of God's story, he looks and he sees every single one of you and you know what he says? That one is mine. That's true for all of us. And so, so the, the story goes on, and then there's this woman who hears, and she has this very sad thing, right? Her, her daughter, I don't know what they're doing, playing with the Ouija boards or something, but anyway, she, she has an unclean spirit, right? And then it'd be a terrifying thing to see your daughter, like, foaming out the mouth and saying all these weird things and uncontrollable, and, and, and she... It's helpless, right? It's kind of like Jairus. He he runs up to Jesus. Jesus, my my little daughter, she's dying. She's at the point of death. Like, think of a a parent's desperation for their child. She comes to Jesus. She comes to Jesus, and she says, um, immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him, came and fell down at his feet. Now, so Mark here kind of gives us this, she's a Gentile, Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him, Cast out this demon. Jesus, please. And it's interesting, the other gospel writers talk about the story that, that she comes to Jesus, Jesus says no, and she comes back, please. And she's, she's begging, she's like, she's, she's being persistent. Jesus, please, save my daughter. And, and, and the, Jesus' response is the part that, that maybe should give us a moment's pause. What are you saying? And so look what, look what Jesus actually says there in verse 27. And he said to her, let the children be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, there, there are two ways that most people try to understand what Jesus is saying here. So one, when he says, let the children be fed first, it's kind of this reference that Jesus is saying, 
my ministry right now is for just the Jewish people. That, that, that there will come a time in which the Gentiles will get these blessings and these promises. But right now, my mission is primarily to the Jews. So, so I, I'm not going to waste my bread on Gentiles. I'm, I'm going I'm to actually take my time and, and minister to the children of God, the Jewish people. Now, some people think that he's being literal. That Jesus is actually kind of saying, hey, I, sorry, but like, the way it is right now, there's, there's coming a time where Gentiles will get the sin too, but right now it's just the Jewish people. And it's interesting, um, he calls her, in essence, a dog. And there's two ways of understanding a dog back then. One is there was like this kind of rabid, uh, outskirt dog that would foam at the mouth, this wild, undomesticated, kind of beastly type thing. But there's also the same thing that we have, domesticated dogs. And that's kind of what he's referring to for the very fact that he assumes that we don't throw bread to the dogs like in your house, you know, like if you ever have like leftovers and your dog's by and your mom's not looking, you know, anyone do that? Am I the only one? Maybe Sammy? Thank you. Right? So he's kind of saying like, hey, listen, um, it's not to say that we're not going to take care of it, but we got to take care of what's really important first. But, but here's really what I think I, Jesus is doing here and what other people seem to think Jesus. He's kind of giving her a test. He, he, he's, he's trying to see and to draw out what she really believes. He, he's trying to give her a, a, an opportunity for her to not just ask and plead, but, but to really, well, why are you coming to me? Why should I help you? And so he says this thing of like, hey, no, I, I got to have my priorities straight. I, I got to feed the children first. You Gentiles, you Hellenization people, uh, you, you know, whatever. Puts her off. And here's her response. What does she say? She says, yes, Lord. Now, what's, what's important about that word? Is one, again, we're in the Gospel of Mark, and it seems that the Pharisees, the disciples, even Jesus' family continue to have a hard time understanding who Jesus is. And over and over again, there's this, there's this just like this, I, this thing with the disciples of like, who is this guy? But what does she say? You're the Messiah. Yes, Lord. She knows who he is. Yeah, and that's really important for a Gentile to admit that. Yes, Lord. But... Even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Here's what's incredible. She admits that she is a dog begging for scraps. Like, can, can you imagine any scenario in our society in which someone would call you a dog and you wouldn't be offended? Can you imagine any scenario in which, in any culture, this would be an appropriate thing to say? Especially now in our society of a man telling a woman this. But she goes along with it. She even says, you're, you're absolutely right. You're, you know, you got to take it, you got you to take care of what's, what's important first. But, but even the dogs get a little bit. Even me, we, we, I just need a few little crumbs. And here's the point. Jesus favors the dependent, not the independent. 
she, by saying this, is admitting, Jesus, yes, you're right. I am a dog. I'm a beggar. I, I, don't, deserve, I don't deserve to be at the table. But the table is full. I know that you, you have the full table, but, but even just the few things that fall off, that's all I need. She is admitting to Jesus that she does not deserve to be helped. And do you know what happens when she admits that she deserves to not be helped? She gets the help she needs. Pride is an interesting thing. I remember a few good Fridays ago, we had, matter of fact, those chalkboards that we took, they had them up there during the Good Friday service, and, and people went up on the boards, and it was a like time of confession, and they would write down the sins that they struggled with. And you know what? The main thing, the main sin that was confessed on those boards was? Pride. And it's interesting. Like I, I, at the time, I was a little like, wasn't the pride, isn't pride the root of every sin? That I, I, I'm just going to be, I'm fine by myself. I'm, I can do it on my own. That I, I think I'm really awesome. I think I'm really great. That I think I'm better than people. I think I don't need help. Like really, I think pride kind of is the root of all sin. But let me tell you something. To the proud, God opposes. And here's why. The proud say in their heart that there is no God, that I don't need him, that I, I can do fine on my own, that, you know, I, I like Jesus and God and that I want you to make me a, a good life, but, but you know what, I... I'm kind of doing, I'm doing pretty good on my own. And I, I think the, the, the heart of it, what it means to be a Christian is this. That's why I like this passage. It shows us the heart of what it means to be a Christian. The heart of a Christian is to be dependent on God for everything. Let me ask you a question. This is a hard question. Would you be content like this woman to admit that you are just a household dog begging for scraps. That you deserve nothing from God. That whatever God is willing to afford is enough. That me, as a, as a fallen, sinful human, I have no right to take hold of the grace of God. You know, Jesus says the best in, in the first beatitude, in the first blessing. You know what he says? He says, blessed are the poor in what? Spirit. For theirs is the kingdom. You know what it means to be blessed by being poor in spirit? It means that you realize and you know that you are spiritually bankrupt, that you have nothing, that the righteousness meter in your life is that zero, zilch, nothing, that I don't deserve to be a child at the table who gets the good stuff. But Lord, if you can just give a few crumbs, that'd be enough. Jesus, do you know what he values? Do you know what he cares for? Do you know what, do you know what Jesus favors? He favors the person who says, nothing good can I claim, but, but to the cross I claim. I, I, Jesus, without you, I'm nothing. I'm dependent on you for everything. How do we do this well? 
when you find yourself in a moment where you feel guilty and shameful for your sin and you say, Jesus, I, I need you to forgive me. Do you know what you just expressed? That you're dependent on Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. When, when you get in a really tough situation and you're not really sure how to deal with it, maybe it's a, a conflict, a relationship thing, and you say, Jesus, give me wisdom. I don't, I don't know how to manage the situation well. Do you know what you just expressed? That you're dependent on Jesus. But when you have a situation and, and, and you want to do good, but you're not really sure, and how do you love this person, the least of these, and, and you say, Jesus, just give me your heart that I may love how you love. Do you know what you just expressed? That you're dependent on Jesus and not on yourself. When you say to God, the only way that I can have a right relationship with you is because of what Jesus has done on the cross for me. Do you know what you just expressed? Faith and dependency in the gospel. That's what Jesus cares about. And that's why Jesus immediately says, oh, you get it? Girl, you get it? High five, air high five. Girl, go your way. The, the, the demons left your daughter. It's, it's, the same, it's the same thing as the woman who says, if I can just touch a small little strand of his garment, I'll be made well. And Jesus says, go in peace, your faith. Your dependency has made you well. For this statement, you may go your way, the demon has left your daughter, and she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. The first thing that Jesus cares about is that he cares and favors the least of these. The second is he favors the dependent and not the independent. And lastly, very similar to the second point is this. Jesus favors Faith, not people. God doesn't look at any external feature. He does not look at the parents that you have. He does not look at how smart you are. He does not look at how well you do in whatever task you are given. Do you know what Jesus cares for? Do you know that special eye that Jesus gives? Do you know what it is? It's the heart of faith. And here's the thing, here's the beautiful thing. You can be American, you could be Canadian, you could be Iranian, you could be Chinese, you could be Japanese, you can be anything you want. You could speak English, you could speak Arabic, you can speak whatever you want. You can have zero education or have your PhD. It doesn't really matter. But do you know the person who Jesus just uniquely in his heart swells with, with goodness and kindness and favor. And do you know the person who God looks at and he sings over and he loves and he cares? It is the person who believes and puts their faith in Christ. A heart that knows they possess nothing good in themselves. Does God have favorites? Not in the way that we understand that question. But does God grant things to those who express faith? Absolutely. Yes. How, how should we live Monday morning knowing these things? How should we live our lives differently knowing that, that God cares about people 
who have faith. That one, listen. Your performance this week does not change God's love for you. You, you may do really well in some days and really bad in other days, but you want to know something? God isn't looking at any external feature. He's looking for a heart that says, Jesus, in you, I have everything. How else, how else does this remind us of the graciousness and love of God? That when we look to our brothers and our sisters in this room, that when we encounter people in our schools and our homes and our jobs, Jesus loves them, he, the least of these. And here's the thing. Sometimes faith, it's, it's an up and down battle. But I guarantee you that sometimes that we, we, we write people off. We, we, we think of them and we just say, oh, they're too far gone. And Jesus says, no, don't write them off. Don't write them off. Because Jesus cares about the least of these. And he cares about those who are dependent upon him. And he cares about those who have faith in their hearts. You know, at Christmas time, there's this song that my wife and I listen to over and over again on repeat. And one of the lines, it says this. It says, the cry of faith so simple is still the greatest song in heaven's hymnal. That the greatest thing in the eyes and the heart of God is in those very simple moments where you're lying in your bed and you're about to fall asleep and you realize that you are the least of these, that with God you are nothing, that in your heart you know that Jesus died for you and that's enough. In that moment, that is the greatest song in heaven's hymnal. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have cared for us, that we are the least of these. Father, I, I pray that we would all be humble enough to admit our deep need for Jesus, that, that even if we had the, the scraps off the table, Lord, that would be enough. So Jesus, I, I thank you for your word, and I pray that you continue to draw us into a life of more love and obedience and gratitude towards you. Jesus, give us your grace when we miss this. Maybe some of you here are tempted to think that God loves you more or less depending on how well you do during the week. And maybe you're tempted to believe that that God can't love you because of things you've done or maybe he likes you less. But the great thing about looking to the cross is, is that we know for sure that because Jesus died in our place, he has taken away our sins, that he loves us the same no matter what. So just take a minute, I encourage you, um, we'll play the some music in the background for a minute and just take time to talk to God about this. Express your heart of faith. Express your dependence upon Him. And in a, in a minute or two, we'll close with singing. <laughs>